This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 416 for the week of December 4th, 2016. I guess the only appropriate way to start this episode is to say, Uncha! Welcome to Kanzenshu, the podcast and extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. What's up? It is me, it is Mike Vegito EX, coming in your ears for episode 416 of our podcast. Sorry to take a week or two off in that uh, meantime there, but like I said, last episode we had, we were heading into holiday season. And I definitely was coming down with something and I still have a little bit of remnants of it in my system. You can probably hear it in my voice a little bit. So with that all being said, because I don't want to talk uh, as snotty as I sound right now, we're pretty much going to jump right into our topic, which this week is, of course, what else would we be talking about? Dragon Ball Super episode 69, the Dr. Slump episode, dare I say, the best episode of Dragon Ball Super. Jake, of course, Herms is joining me this episode to talk about that episode. We detail all of the references, all of the callbacks, all the stuff you need to know about that episode. And along the way, we do know a couple other Dr. Slump related podcasts we have done over the years, specifically 285 and 288. 288 was the big one. That was our Dr. Slump primer episode back in 2012. Definitely go back and give that a listen. But really, I want to get right into the topic. I'm going to forego the news. There's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about that would have been, it was going to be one of those episodes where the news is the topic, but we will save that for next episode. Let's just get right into it. I'll join you on the flip side of about this half hour conversation, talk about what's up on the site, and then that'll be the episode. So here Here we go. Episode 69 of Dragon Ball Super may have just been a Dr. Slump episode. That's how it felt through and through. We're going to follow up with that episode and also follow up on a series, actually, of episodes that we've done regarding Dr. Slump. The first one that, Jake, you and I did back on episode 288 of the podcast. That was in February 2012. We were, Heath and I, were in the midst of slamming our heads against various walls, getting Konzenshu ready to launch. But we did a Dr. Slump primer back then. And this kind of feels like a direct follow-up to that episode. We're going to talk about episode 69 of Super. Uh, All the little things you saw in that episode that were direct callbacks to Dr. Slump. Uh, Anyway, Jake, hi. You're here. Hello. Let's get right. Man, I just want to get right into it. There's so many cool things in this episode. I had the best time watching it. I really feel like they couldn't do this, but I feel like they should have just foregone with the Chozetsu dynamic and gone right into the Dr. Slump opening. Yeah, it would have. It's odd that it ended up with two different openings, but I guess they, they used the, the time normally allocated for the recap. Yeah, to, yeah play the Dr. Slump opening. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. That is YY World, correct? Yes. All right. The Dr. Slump opening is mostly gibberish, if you couldn't tell from watching it. But it was a great look at the characters of that world. I know there are a couple concerns going into this episode where we got character designs. We actually didn't know how much we were going to get of some of these other characters. Really, they were relegated to pretty much just the opening theme. But we got the Gachan, which we got in the episode itself. We got Nico-chan in there. We got all the friends. We got most of the adults there. It was a nice little look at Penguin Village, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's a nice way to have them in there without actually having to get the voice actors together and pay them to do voices. Yeah. Just feature them, these cameos that are there while the 
opening theme is playing. Again, that was the opening theme, the original opening theme to the Dr. Slump TV series. Then we get into the episode, and I feel like we kind of have to set the stage here. We're going to operate under the assumption that, you know, the most basic of things, things like Dr. Slump was the hit series before Dragon Ball. It's actually the thing that made Toriyama a millionaire long before he got to Dragon Ball itself. Uh, There's a brief crossover in chapters 81 and 82 of the Dragon Ball manga. That was during the Red Ribbon arc. That's when we went to visit Arale and her cohorts during the fight with Blue. You know that Senbei Norimaki is a bumbling inventor. That's where we get the name Slump from. Uh, And you know that Arale is a robot that he created. I think if you know this much, you were pretty good to get into the episode here. Uh, And if you don't know any of that stuff, you probably didn't just watch this episode. And you need to go listen to our primer episode. Or better yet, go read all of Dr. Slump. Uh, But Jake, going forward into episode 69, I'd say the main characters we got from Dr. Slump were Senbei, Arale, Gachan, and Dr. Mashirito, right? Yeah, and this is actually the first time Mashirito has been in one of these um, Dragon Ball Dr. Slump crossovers for the logical reason that he technically dies at the end of Dr. Slump. Right, which I think they covered perfectly here. Yes. I love that. We'll get to that a little bit. Uh, I guess let's start with just Gachan before we get into the other references here, because we're at a point in Super where we've learned about Whis, and I guess by extension Vados and the Great Priest as well, that they are angels. Well, Gachan's also an angel, or now multiple angels. How does this all reconcile? Yeah, so I guess slight spoiler for the pretty near the end of Dr. Slump, because so for most of Dr. Slump, Gachan's true nature is unexplained, and then in kind of like Cyan Arc style, suddenly it's revealed that he's actually an angel sent by the god of the galaxy to Earth to check their technological progress, which is why he eats, they eat basically everything other than rubber. As mm-hmm. we, so as we see in this episode, they eat the building where this invention awards ceremony is being held. So also, as we see throughout Dr. Slump, they gradually, um, it starts out there's just one of them, and then eventually it split, he splits into two. It's revealed in times when they travel into the future that this process just continues indefinitely until there's like about eight or so that we see in this kind of, this time when they go ten years into the future. And of course, if you want to get into it, ten years in the future of when that story was set should technically be in the past of when Super is set. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, they just, they kind of gloss over that, like Senbei. Senbei should technically be bald by now. Mm-hmm. And you know, we see Turbo, Senbei's son, very briefly in the opening. He's still a baby, even though he's technically older than Gohan. You know, there's various things like that that are you kind of have to just let it slide. Yeah, in typical Dr. Slump fashion, uh, no rules are being followed, so it just is what it is. Uh, well, we already talked about Arale and Senbei. Uh, let's talk about Dr. Mashirito a little bit, and we'll start at the beginning here. Mashirito is a rearranged Torishima, and you may know that name, Kazuhiko Torishima, is the person who pretty much discovered Ahira Toriyama, uh, mentored him, and was his first editor there at Jump. Yeah, so he was the editor who, Toriyama's editor for like the first several one shots that he was he submitted to jump which mm-hmm. mostly got rejected and then he was also editor for all of dr slump and then dragon ball up until about the 23rd tournament so about when the transition to z kicked off that's when he was replaced by Toriyama's second editor he appears frequently throughout dr slump first off just as himself as a caricature there's a lot of these little authorial asides throughout dr slump where toriyama appears as himself and then here put in uh, torishima just making fun of him for always rejecting his ideas and then eventually he did this full-blown parody of torishima uh, mashirito since japanese goes syllable by syllable you if you write torishima backwards in japanese it comes out mashirito and 
so just as Senbei is kind of like a stand-in for Toriyama in many ways, and so therefore Senbei's rival is this stand-in for Torishima. And so since Senbei is theoretically a good scientist, Mashirito is a mad scientist trying to take over the world and building all these evil... He's essentially Gero before Gero was Gero. Right, we talked about that, how he essentially created a series of numbered robots that came after the main character. But uh, you can refer back to that previous discussion. Uh, the big reference here, as he enters the scene, he comes in saying reject or rejected. That was his catchphrase from Torijima himself, who continuously, as you said, rejected uh, the various things Toriyama contributed or submitted before uh, you know, he he really got picked up big time. And then even over the course of the regular series, Toriyama tells us many times how he just held off on the very last second. So he would submit it and there would be no time for it to be rejected. It would have to be used because they had to go to print. So that's where this comes from. Yeah. And so kind of somewhat amusingly enough, considering that he was a basis for Mashirito, who is kind of the basis for Gero, uh, it was Torishima who was also his like last big influence on the series was voicing his displeasure about the designs for Android 19 and 20. Mm, right. Even though he's no longer Toriyama's actual editor, he still called him up to complain. And so that's what caused Toriyama to d ditch those guys and introduce 17 and 18. I guess the last thing I want to say about Torishima is that he also kind of served as the uh, influence for Demon King Piccolo. And there's a wonderful little gag in Jump Superstars on the Nintendo DS where Mashirito and uh, Piccolo can fuse into a character that uh, attacks. By saying Botsu, rejected, rejected, <laughs> in giant exploding letters. Exactly. It's wonderful. All right, so uh, let's move on. I guess the next big reference here is the reality machine. This does have a basis in Dr. Slump uh, a couple times. Yes, because in the episode, we see the reality machine number two and the for the reality machine number one. Well, it's not called that at the time, but the original is in fairly early on in Dr. Slump. And it's this kind of cooking pot with arms and legs and a face, which is like a lot of the inventions throughout Dr. Slump are that kind of cartoonish, an object with, you know, a face that talks and all this stuff. But anyway, so the original version works by you put you take a photograph or something like that inside you put it inside, and then it will make that photograph real. And so one of the examples, like in the original chapter, Senbei, he plans on putting one of his dirty magazines into it. But then uh, Arale ends up cutting out, in a, this very metaphysical moment, she cuts out the actual Dr. Stump manga page itself, puts it into the machine, and creates duplicates of herself and everyone else. And so I think it appears a few other times randomly throughout Dr. Slump. But And then in, in the remake Dr. Slump series that ran in the 90s, there's an episode where Arale puts the Dragon Ball manga into it and then creates copies of uh, Goku and Kid Buu who fight. Right. They're these little like off-color versions. Yeah, or? they're kind of weird, which isn't normally how the machine works, but it's the remake. So it, I don't know. The remake for Dr. Slump actually picked up, just like GT picked up right after Z ended, the remake for Dr. Slump picked up uh, right after GT. In fact, the next episode so preview in GT episode 64 is actually for episode one of the new Dr. Slump. Yeah, so it went like the first Dr. Slump anime aired and then that was followed by Dragon Ball and then Z and then GT and then the remake. So it's just all Toriyama all the time for like 15 years there. It was a very long time, right. And so, but so the, the number two version of the reality machine in this episode is a little different in that rather than needing to put a photo inside, you just have to concentrate and then it'll produce whatever you've imagined in your mind. But apparently it only works if you really, really want that thing. Uh, I do want to note the Senbei going manly or handsome here. That's a recurring gag from Dr. Slump as well when he gets really uh, kind of into himself and inside his own head. It's kind of how he pictures 
injures himself. Yeah, but he can only hold it for a short amount of time. Right. And they joke he's they joke that he's like Ultraman in that regard. Right, right. In the manga version of the original Dragon Ball Doctor, some crossover, he doesn't do this, but in the animated version, they threw that in there. Let's talk about Vegeta a little bit. Uh he is, along with Trunks, actually here, uh the voice of reason. He is the one to realize what is going on, uh kind of from an out-of-universe perspective. As I saw Vegeta in this episode, and it seems you noticed the same thing, um, Toriyama wrote Vegeta the same way back in the Nekomajin series, where he realized he was in a gag manga and things weren't going to work out the way he would expect them to, so he made up excuses. Uh, the excuse in Nekomajin was that his phone went off, and he, they were like, oh, I didn't hear a ring. He said, oh, it was in, they call it manner mode, or on vibrate. Uh, that was very similar to him saying, look, a UFO, that kind of thing, a little bit of a distraction. Uh but then also just simply noticing and realizing he's in a gag manga. That's very much uh, Toriyama parody Vegeta. Yeah, and I guess we should say the difference between a gag manga and then in contrast to a battle manga or like a other more serious series, it's the contrast, I guess it's sort of self-explanatory, but it's like a more lighthearted, what we'd consider cartoony versus something more serious and relatively more realistic. And so even though Dragon Ball kind of started out as a gag manga, it got you know, relatively more serious over time, kind of it fluctuates back and forth. But whereas Dr. Slump is just a gag manga from beginning to end. And so as a result, you know, they have stuff like Arale splitting the earth in half and then it goes back to normal without any attempt at an explanation. Exactly right. And Vegeta wonders how she flew around the earth so fast. I mean, we've seen countless things like that. Uh, we even got Gotenks in the series proper doing that. Would he fly around the world seven times in whatever time that was? Yeah, and also, like, early on, during the first tournament, when uh, Jackie Chun reads Namu's mind, and he like he learns Namu's really serious backstory, and he's like, ah, oh, well, no wonder this guy doesn't uh, fit in here in this GOG manga. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's almost a throwback to that, just a character commenting on, like, oh, you know, we're... It's a mashup of the two different styles of storytelling. Uh, tied in with this series of events when Arale finally uh, headbutts Vegeta off into oblivion. This is the point where they recognize each other. At least Goku recognizes Arale. And it seems that him recognizing her uh, is what prompts her to recognize him. The headbutt attack was the same way that she uh, got rid of Blue back in the Red Ribbon arc. Yeah. And of course, Goku, he doesn't. The fact that she has her name on her hat doesn't tip no, him off at, no. at any point prior to that. <laughs> no, it's it's all about attacks. Uh, and he doesn't question why she isn't older. Uh, did Goku realize she was a robot in the crossover? No, not, not, dur not during the crossover. I guess we see her head pop off, and that's just another thing. That's pretty standard. Uh, Arale is pretty much like Bender to me, where she can take her body apart and everything still works independently. Yeah, but during during the original crossover, at least not at least in the manga, I don't know about the anime version, but I'm pretty sure she never. Uh, her head doesn't pop off when Goku's around. Right, right. So this is this is his first time seeing that and realizing that she's a robot. He doesn't even comment on it, does he? They, well, when her head gets knocked off, uh, he and Vegeta, they're both oh, yeah, shocked. Yeah. And then she's like, oh yeah, I'm a robot, by the way. And that's pretty standard, too. That's Toriyama, which is just, I'm going to state the obvious. Uh, it's a very dry humor. We got that a lot in Chaco. That's actually why I love the Chaco series so much. I guess we should, we should clarify that this episode... It's credited entire. The script is credited solely to King Ryu. Right. We don't know any kind of Toriyama involvement if there was at all. Maybe we'll hear about something later on down the line. But yeah, it's a good point. The fact that they haven't mentioned any would it makes me assume that there just wasn't any involvement from him at all. Otherwise, they'd be hyping 
hyping that up. Right. This is definitely the kind of thing uh, we've talked about this a lot in the past. Whenever Toriyama does any tiny little character design or any kind of tiny little involvement for something, uh, they take that opportunity to hype it up. And if Toriyama oversaw this script or wrote any dialogue for it or came up with the original concept for it, we would have heard that. Uh, you know, the the absence of evidence doesn't necessarily prove anything one way or the other. But when it comes to this kind of production, it's a very very heavy hint uh, one way or the other. In this case, it's probably that he had no involvement. So yeah, that does make me wonder if that's why Vegeta's uh, actions are so reminiscent of his role in Nekomajin Z. Yeah, you think they were looking to all these other examples to draw influence from? Yeah, it's like, uh, how do we, how, yeah, how would Vegeta interact with a gag character? Well, uh, what's the only precedent for that is Nekomajin Z. So let's just go heavily off of that. You know, that also reminded me, um, of the Kochikame crossover where uh, a pool is the one who realizes that Ryo-san is a gag character and that he can't die by any attack whatsoever. So yeah, they're definitely pulling what we've had the, the Toriyama precedent here. Yes, the other big thing when uh, Mashirito reveals that he's returned, that he's a ghost and he's come back oh, from yeah, hell. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pr- uh, Prior to that, Senbei, he's like, oh, I, surely you died. And he pulls out what is actually a, he pulls out the actual volume 16 of the Dr. Slump manga, which is when Mashirito dies. And so, well, first off, they reproduce the actual cover really well mm-hmm. in miniature. And then, like this gag in itself, this is a running gag throughout Dr. Slump of characters checking the manga to see what has happened previously in the story. And that feels very much, again, like a stand-in for Toriyama himself, where he needs to check back against what he's done. Uh, and even still, in many cases, uh, he's contradicted himself. I mean, there were many contradictions in Dr. Slump. I think one of the big ones was uh, accidentally using the same number a uh, robot multiple times. Yeah, he notes that a, a reader had to point out that this this was the second time he had a Carmel Man number nine. And that and so, in fact, Mashirito, again, typical Garo style, he turns himself into the final Carmel Man robot cyborg thing. But then he's number nine. But then someone points out, oh, the last one was also number nine. I might be getting the exact numbers wrong. But so then from then on, he like he's drawn with the nine crossed out and a 10 or whatever placed in instead. Uh, that also reminds me of, incidentally, during the Red Ribbon arc again, was it white that he forgot or accidentally reset again uh well white got gets called silver oh that's it okay a few times yeah yeah and then this gets corrected in i know the kanzenban and i think may, maybe the later tankobun volumes mm-hmm. and then vi- the viz translation they also just fix that just as fix well from the on their yeah, own. Yeah. that's just again yeah you know toriyama needing to go back and review what he had just written dr slump does the great thing where they actually check against the manga itself in the manga itself let's see well we've got um arale splitting the earth in half mm-hmm. which is this is one of our trademark moves from dr slump right and like i said it always go just goes back to normal in kind of bugs bunny style and then she also does the encha cannon mm-hmm. so her trademark greeting uh, incha it's a takeoff of konnichiwa just like shortened as much as humanly possible so that's her normal way of saying hello and then also she has this attack where she says that and then fires a beam from her mouth Kind of what we see with Gotenks at Nappa. They have those kind of mouth beam things. And so uh, the joke is at one point, like she can actually use it with other greetings. And so there's a point in the slump manga where she has like a face off with this giant crab monster. And they're both just saying every different kind of greeting they can think of while firing blasts at each other. <laughs> it's pretty good. You know, going along with Ncha is uh, Baicha, which is her kind of goodbye. Uh, we got Baicha in Dragon Ball Super. I remember it was definitely in the manga with Weiss, or not Weiss's, uh with the uh, Zeno, the king of everything, the omni 
King's uh, attendance. Was that in the TV series as well? Yeah, yeah, it was too. Okay. Yeah, so that was, they had a Dr. Slump throwback there. And I, I guess we didn't mention as well that this is actually Arale's second appearance in Super. Mm-hmm. Because she had a cameo in, I think it was either episode 41 or 42, somewhere around there. I want to say it was 43. <laughs> okay. But, well, anyway, so after the last, after the big Universe 6 tournament wrapped up, they had the filler episode where Goku, as a result of doing the Kaioken with Super Saiyan Blue, he's, you know, all messed up. And so he's trying to teleport around and he just ends up in, the, he can't get to where it's going. He just ends up in random places instead of where he intended to go. And so one of those places is apparently Penguin Village, where he sees RLA for like a split second. And this was kind of funny because like th- we got word of this ahead we this did. cameo ahead of time because it was it was on um a Koyama the voice actress for RLA. Mm-hmm. It was on her website, I guess, and there was a few other sources where it leaked out where it, all we knew is that RLA was going to be in the episode and so we didn't know to what extent. And so is this kind of sp- all the speculation and then at the end it was just this uh, you know blinker your miss it cameo right. which I mean was kind of the I kind of assumed that was going to happen because, like, none of the actual promotional material, none of the previews or anything that for the episode mentioned Arale at all. Right, right. So it seemed logical ahead of time to assume it was just going to be a little thing. But, I mean, even so, like, when it happened, people were like, oh, is that all? Oh, no. Well, on the on the flip side, I felt like the fact that they weren't talking about it, but it leaked out. Like, it almost felt like they accidentally put it on Mamiko Yama's website. It was like, oh, this was going to be a big surprise. Like, she had a speaking role and... Like you said, yeah, it unfortunately didn't end up being much. Uh, I think this episode kind of made up for that in many ways. I mean, maybe they were kind of testing the waters. Yeah, yeah. Could this work? I mean, again, with the Nekomajin Z thing, uh, mm-hmm. Vegeta's line at the very end of the episode, where he's like, I'll never fight a gag manga character again. Like, it's essentially almost the exact same yeah. thing he says at the end of his Nekomajin Z thing, where he flies off and he's like, I'll, I'll never appear in a So, okay, on that note, like, what did you think of the episode? (laughs) Right. So let's talk about that. We generally don't do these like individual episode reviews. Uh, There's a couple key times we've done something like that where there's been amazing animation or, you know, we just had to talk about it. Uh, I think this is one of those episodes where we just had to talk about it. You know, we preface it with all the information about it. But yeah, uh, man, this was everything I I feel like I could have wanted out of a crossover episode. You know, I'd love to have more of it with some more of the characters. But in terms of if we're going to get one episode and they got to wrap up that story in those 20 minutes, I got everyone I wanted. I got Arale, I got Gachan, I got Senbei, and Mashirito was a total surprise there. Uh, And I think they hit everyone note for note uh, from their appearances and just fitting together so perfectly. I loved how Vegeta was the voice of reason. Uh, Trunks figuring out the poop was pretty wonderful. Uh, I loved Beerus's interactions there with everyone as limited as they were. Beerus felt like himself. Beerus and Whis both did. Uh, they came in, did exactly what they would have done in that situation. Uh, and as we were watching the episode, I was commenting to to Mary, like, this really feels like the newest of Toriyama, uh, Beerus specifically. I mean, we've since gone, you know, beyond with Universe 6 and stuff, but I really feel like Beerus is the epitome of uh, current Toriyama and the way that he redesigned and rewrote Beerus just feels like, oh, that is Toriyama. So to mix that tone with the original success story from Toriyama. It really felt like a a coming home that um, I didn't really know I wanted, but I totally wanted. And it just, you know, I'm going to have to watch it again, watch it a few times and reflect on it. But just one day later, I'm just riding high with excitement and smiles from this episode. Uh, How about you, Jake? Yeah, I 
felt pretty much the same way. I mean, going into it, I was kind of nervous because, like I said, there's no indication Toriyama actually had any involvement mm. in the writing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to write Dragon Ball without Toriyama, but to write Dr. Slump without Toriyama, I mean, we saw how the 90s show went. Yeah, so, I mean, everything felt on point. There was nothing in it that I was like, oh, that just that just feels like someone trying to do Toriyama without actually being Toriyama. It all felt, yeah, everyone was in character. Ever, all the interactions felt right. I mean, I wouldn't exactly call it a complaint, but again, it's very noticeable how Vegeta does feel like they're just redoing his Nekomajin thing. But yeah, even yeah. then, that, that's it still works. I mean, we've never, there's never been an animated version of Nekomajin, so we might as well just reuse <laughs> that here. Sure. I enjoyed it from beginning to end. I think um, I'm, I don't know how I'd rank it against the manga version of the original crossover, but I think I'd probably like this more than the anime version of the, you know, back in Dragon Ball, of the crossover. I agree. Just, I mean, there are, because with that version, there are little things like, well, the first episode, half of it is just wrapping up the pirate cave stuff, mm-hmm. which is kind of not that great. And then there's also, you know, they did, uh, speaking of non-Toriyama-esque stuff, like in the animated version of the original crossover, they had stuff like, well, making General Blue a pedophile, which just didn't feel, you know, that's like not that's just a sour note that feels completely out of place but we didn't get anything like that here and it's kind of you know it's one episode it you know there's not really a second wasted it's just um from beginning to end it's just felt like it never let up it was so i mean yeah that's the thing it's like the, my only complaint is it f- almost felt too short but I guess it's good that it left me wanting more. I totally agree with your assessment of this versus the TV and manga crossovers. Uh, just a point there. You mentioned the the, the really cringy uh, blue stuff. We did a podcast episode about that, too. It was actually a couple before the one that you and I did. <laughs> uh, episode 285, myself, Heath and Mary, we talked about that. So if you want to dig back and listen to that episode, that's available to you. Uh, yeah, I like the original crossover in the manga. Uh, I, what I like about the TV version, though, is that we get Dr. Slump music. Uh, background music during that and I guess the best they could do here would just be the opening theme I'm glad we got that I, I like I got my little hint of Kikuchi uh, inspired music here in this episode that that really helped sell it even though it was only just at the beginning there uh, they didn't have to do that opening theme so I'm I was really glad that they did that and I guess one advantage here is that it is a, it's a self-contained episode it's you could call it filler and I mean I guess it essentially is filler but I, that's the thing it's like for people who like like Dr. Sump, we can watch it and enjoy it. And people who don't, they can just skip over this without any real downside. Whereas with the original crossover, it is kind of woven into the fabric of it the is, overall yeah. Red Ribbon arc. So it is that weird thing where if you're watching the arc and you have no idea what Dr. Slump is, suddenly there's all this these things where you don't have a clue what's going on. And you're expected to know it. And so, I mean, this is kind of the same thing again, but I mean, it can just be skipped over if you if you're so inclined. Well, place yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't know Dr. Slump, like the the standard casual fan. They know Dragon Ball is a cool show on TV. Uh, it was an action show on Cartoon Network after school. Uh, they're coming back to Super. They're back in the fold. They see this episode. Uh, what do you think that casual consensus is going to be about this episode? Because that's not us. Yeah. And of course, again, it's the casual fan is going to be very different between the U.S. and Japan. Mm. Because in Japan, people still know Dr. Slump. It is this kind of background thing. Was it earlier this year or last year where they had those commercials where it's like the live action Dr. Slump? So it's definitely still a thing people know in Japan. Whereas, so I think, and you know, this is being made primarily for a Japanese audience. So I think for them, at least, it's going to be at least, if not a nostalgia trip, then just a thing that they have some handling on. Whereas, yeah, with the U.S. audience, standard U.S. audience, they're probably going to be fairly 
confused, but I mean, you can kind of just, I think they do give you everything you need to know. Yeah. I think you get a sense of who these characters are relatively quickly. And if you don't, then you kind of have Vegeta there as like your, um, kind of your stand-in because yeah, he also yeah. has no clue what's going on. But I mean, I have seen people, people have been asking me like on Twitter, it's like, is, is this a new character, this RLA person? Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So there are, I mean, it's not their fault or anything, but of it's, course, yeah. Course. So some people are confused by this, but I mean, hopefully, hopefully this podcast will help. <laughs> we will do what we can. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that unfortunately just plays into, you know, all, all people watched was the Z portion of the series. There's, there's such a bigger world out there. As Toriyama would say, you know, the world is so big. There are so many cool people out there for you to meet. Uh, I think you really need to do so. I hope this is going to be a great opportunity, great chance for people to go check out Dr. Slump. Uh, I guess we should say that the entire series is available from Viz, both in digital and in print. Uh, I'm fairly certain that it's all still available in print. I know for a little while stuff was uh, out of print, but should be back by now. Uh, it's always available digitally. And uh, it wouldn't hurt to plug one last time that Discotech did release the first five movies of Dr. Slump in their equivalent Dragon Box remaster on DVD a couple years back. And Jake, you may have overseen uh, the cleanup of the translation on that. It's a distinct possibility. <laughs> but apart from that, you are kind of out of luck with the Slump anime in the U.S. for official U.S. releases. Hopefully that will change someday. Yeah, on that point, uh, it was back in April, actually, a bunch of people noticed that on Amazon, there was a complete listing for the Dr. Slump TV series in their streaming section, but everything was unavailable to stream. Uh, we were hoping that was going to be a hint at a possible streaming arrangement or agreement, but that hasn't turned into anything. Uh, that listing is still there you have to dig for it i don't know that you can actually search for it anymore i think you have to have the direct link to it uh but yeah as of right now there's there's nothing i really feel though like dr slump is a manga more so than an anime uh i like the anime it's it's okay it's got great music <laughs> it has a great voice cast just like dragon ball does uh there's that torishima interview that was on forbes recently uh and he talked a lot about Dragon Ball and working with Toriyama on Dragon Ball. But he talked about Dr. Slump as well. Uh, and they were talking about how uh, difficult it was to adapt Dr. Slump into an animated feature and how they were never quite happy with how it turned out. Um, and I kind of feel the same way. I, I think if you're going to enjoy Dr. Slump, the manga is the perfect way to go. And, and just like Dragon Ball, it is the source from the pen of the author himself. So I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, that is going to be our topic this week. That was Dragon Ball Super episode 69. Uh, I think all of the references, all of the important stuff and call outs to other things in Dr. Slump and ancillary Dragon Ball material. That was Jake. I am Mike, and we're going to transition to the rest of the episode right now. Yay. Bye, Cha. Lots of cool stuff going on with the website right now. We have been adding a lot of news and a lot of content. Jake has crammed out a couple of good translations recently related to this episode, actually. We had a two-part interview with Masako Nozawa, you of course know who that is, and Mami Koyama, who is the voice of Arale, also incidentally enough did lunch in the Dragon Ball series. Uh, the official Dragon Ball Super website put up a two-part interview, which we have translated on our website. Uh, that's still on the homepage, and you can find it in the translations section. I 
added one new thing to the press archive on the site. Remember, the press archive is kind of like a complement to the translation section, the press archive being non-Japanese sources, things like uh, articles, editorials, interviews, Q&A sessions, lots of good stuff there from non-Japanese sources. I put up there a transcription of a great article from the February 1996 issue of Mangazine. This was anime and live action magazine from Antarctic Press. What I love about this article, it comes at just this amazing time in North American Dragon Ball history. Think about that. February 1996, Funimation had done the first 13 episodes of the Dragon Ball TV series. At that time, they still planned to do another 13. That didn't pan out, though. So February 96, they were going to have to wait until September 1996 for Z to start up from Funimation. So it's a great overview of the entirety of the Dragon Ball franchise. And uh, the way I describe this on the site, what I love about it is there are so many other publications out there that were just falling head over heels for what Funimation had to offer them in terms of promotional material and uh, synopses. Antarctic Press here with Mangazine. I mean, they just knew their shit. Their romanizations and their translation choices were spot on for that time. Uh, I love it. So definitely check out the transcription of that article. That too is still on the homepage and you can also check it out in the press archive. We've got Toyotaro Dragon Ball Super Volume 2 translation stuff coming at you this week. Uh, I wonder if it'll be up around the time this podcast episode goes up. We shall see. If not, it'll be coming pretty soon. So that's that's what's going on. Stay tuned. The next episode of the podcast is going to have some great material coming your way. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm going to get out of here. I got to go blow my nose. So for Jake over there, that was Herms. I have been Mike. Sometimes I go by Vegito EX. For Julian and for Heath as well, www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshuu.com. I will see you next time on the podcast. Bye, ciao. みんな集まれ、ペンギン村にどうだ